Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hello everyone and welcome to Bouncing Back, the personal resilience science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. Let's get started. Hey everyone and welcome to Bouncing Back, the Personal Resilience Science Insights Podcast. I am your host Tia Hama and today I'm joined by Danielle Arrigo, Associate Professor of Psychology at Rowan University. Today's topic addresses social comparison and its uses in intervention for behavioral change. Let's get started. Hi Danielle, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How's the weather where you are? Uh, it was actually gorgeous today. So I am in southern New Jersey in the United States, and we're on the East Coast, just south of New York. Um, But it was a gorgeous day here today. Oh, that's so nice. Yes, we have been blessed with good weather for the first time in so long. The sun is shining today, the clouds and the blue sky. And it's just like, oh, it's so nice because it's been like Lovely. torrentially raining here, like like flood level rain here. So <laughs> we're like, so everyone's really grateful that we finally got some sun. Um, but thank you so much for being here. So you're a professor of many things, as I've read, and you've done a lot of research <laughs> in the area of social comparison, which is what we're going to talk about today. Um, but before we get started, for those who don't know you, do you mind explaining who you are and what it is you do? Absolutely. Yeah. So professionally, I go by Danielle, but please call me Danny. Uh, so I'm Danny Arrigo. Uh, like you said, I'm an associate professor of psychology at Rowan University, and really that means that I do all things academic. So I, like mo- many of your guests, I teach, I do research, and I am a clinical psychologist. So whenever you tell somebody you're a psychologist, they think that you're that kind of psychologist, that you're going to be <laughs> yeah. you know, analyzing everything they say. So I'm actually one of those. Statistically, it's unlikely <laughs> that if you talk to a psychologist, they're going to be one of those. Seriously? There are so many different types. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah there, there's more not of those <laughs> than there oh are of us, but I'm one of those. Um, and I have a license to practice uh, the way that a lot of uh, practicing psychologists do. So I do have a degree that allows me to focus on mental health problems and helping people build up their strengths to um, re- to deal with difficult times, um, mm-hmm. depression, anxiety, things like that. But my primary focus is actually on using the science of behavior change, which we would use to help you with depression and anxiety and those kinds of things to help you modify your health behavior. So whatever wow. your health goals are, yeah. we're using the same principles to help you figure out how to make the things happen that your mm-hmm. physician might want you to make happen. So losing weight, being more physically active, stopping smoking, those things are 
we're, we're knowledgeable that we should be mm-hmm. doing those things, but they're really difficult to do. So your yeah. physician <laughs> tells you what to do. And yeah. I'm the person who helps you make that happen. Make it happen. That's so cool. Yeah. Cause I think, like you said, it's so easy to sort of know that like, oh yes, we are, you know, supposed to do exercise every day and eat healthy and not smoke and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. But the general population is really bad at actually doing any of those things. I think that's why we have, you know, I run a productivity podcast as well besides this one and there's a reason that we have that it's because people still struggle to be able to do um the basic things but that's cool that's your job so before we get into the nitty-gritty of it we're talking about social comparison today but we want to get to know you a little bit better so this is the part of the podcast where we do get to know the guest or get to know danny and so we ask you some pretty straightforward questions just to sort of see what your interests are outside of your professional work life so what is a recent book you've read so I am so happy to be able to say that it was not a book for work. Usually in my leisure time, Yay. I am reading something that's related <laughs> yeah. to psychology or related to academics. Mm. Um, but I just finished, I read it in a single day, uh, the book, wow. The Flight Attendant. Um, there's an HBO okay. show that's based oh, on yeah. it. Yeah. And oh, I watched gosh. the show and then I said, I have to read this book. And actually the show was better, but the book was pretty okay. good. That's so cool. I didn't know it was based on a book. That's so awesome. I've heard it's really good. I've got friends who are just like, it's really good. You've got to watch it. (laughs) Uh, Next question is a movie you would recommend. I think it always depends what mood you're in. So I'm going to give you (laughs) options. Um, So if you're in a romantic, serious, like really want a meaningful and like a movie that you can really sink your teeth into that's about relationships, Mm. my favorite is Sense and Sensibility. It's a Jane Austen Mm. adaptation, the one with Emma Thompson and Kate Winslet. I've seen that movie a thousand times. Um, and if you're in the mood for kind of more of a thriller, more of a mystery, but you know, if you're a military person, I, this is never a movie that I would go to, but I've seen it a bunch of times now and I, I love it even more every time the hunt for red October with, oh my gosh, yeah, (laughs) it just like you, you blink and it's over. You just don't even realize how long you're sitting there watching this movie. It's so good. Yeah, I don't know about what it's like in the States, but for some reason in Australia, there's like a channel. Um, it's called like Go or like Go Plus or something. I can't remember, but there's a channel in Australia and I swear to goodness, it plays like every weekend. <laughs> like I have inadvertently watched it so much just because it's always on like the free to air television at like nighttime. And so everyone <laughs> in Australia has this like weird affiliation with like Red October because you're like, it's been on TV so many times, but not everybody really knows what it is. Um, <laughs> anyway. I do not know that. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It's clearly not the same in the States, but yeah, in Australia, it's like, I think it's because they own the, like the rights to play it. It's that and like Willy Wonka, like two movies (laughs) that like every Australian has seen too many times. (laughs) This television okay, well, forget, I, forget I said that one. <laughs> but it's great though for for people, yeah, for people who are listening, um, who are not Australians. If you're Australians, then bypass this comment. Um, but if you're <laughs> listening, yeah, from a different country, then definitely see it. It's really amazing. So my next question is your favorite podcast. Do you have one? Yeah, I have several that I go to. Um, Most of them are about work and related topics. You can tell I'm a big nerd. 
But one that is a little further afield is called Maintenance Space. It's mm. based in the United States and it's all about busting health myths using oh, wow. actual like so these are journalists and yeah. advocates. They're not researchers, but they yeah. have mad good research skills and they just dig into everything they can find to try to tell you the truth about that fad diet and why it's not gonna work. Yeah. Um That's another so cool. one that I love is based on this is not not even not related to anything we're going to talk about but it's um a rewatch podcast of the show supernatural i don't know how popular that is Uh, yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) but it's two guys who are on the show who have actually never watched it and now they're watching all 15 seasons and talking about that's the show with jared padlecki that's yes yes they sit down and watch it i didn't oh my gosh that's so weird i can't believe that that's so funny i guess you wouldn't watch the show that you're on Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's not um, Jared and Jensen, the other two main guy. Yeah. They're guests sometimes, but they're not hosting. Right. It's oh, other okay. people yeah. who are kind of in the background who have oh, never seen okay. it. <laughs> right. I thought you meant like actually like Jared Pitt, like <laughs> and the other fun. guy. And I was like, that would be so cool. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, they sound like such a good, they sound like such good listens. Yeah. It's sometimes it's nice to have sort of just like guilty pleasure podcasts that just kind of allow you to kind of zone out of work. Like I feel like we always listen into podcasts for like productivity reasons which is why we run this podcast because that's the main reason that people ingest podcasts I think um Mm -hmm. but it is nice to just kind of have those ones where you sort of feel like you're listening to friends and you know kind of chatting about stuff and I'm listening to one at the moment um it's called you must remember this and I just found it the other day and it's like have you do you know it my husband loves it. Oh yeah. my gosh, yeah. It's so cool. I just found it the other day. I was like looking for like movie podcasts and because I'm like such a cinephile, um, and that, that word doesn't sound good when you say it out loud. I'm such a film buff. There we go. <laughs> um, but for those who are wondering, cinephile is this person who's like obsessed with film and movies. Um, but yeah and I was listening I was trying to find one and I started listening to it and I was like this is so good I thought it was so weird at first I couldn't really get over her voice I think her name's like Catherine or Katharina thank you yes I, okay, I hate yeah. to do that to women <laughs> and especially like my voice isn't anything special but yes it took me a minute <laughs> yeah but then like as after I started listening to her like longer, I kind of like I feel like she matches the theme almost of that like kind of weird yeah. sort of like fifties in the way she speaks. And I was like, oh, this is actually like it works really well. So great podcast, highly recommend. Um, okay, Fun next fact question. Before we move on oh, yeah. from that, actually, did you know that she is? I'm not sure they're married, but they they've been living together a long time oh. with the director of Knives Out and The Last Jedi. Ryan no Johnson. way. Oh my gosh. Oh, her life is so cool. That is amazing. Oh my goodness. Her life is very cool. All right. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's fine. We could talk about that all day. Okay. Um, next question. Who is your famous role model? If you have one, not everybody does. So this connects so much to what we're going to talk about tonight. And I, I have so many people I admire uh, for different reasons. So mm. I, I think I'm going to press pause on that one so that we can okay. talk about it as like examples as we go through. Yeah. If that's okay. Yeah. yeah, no, of course. Ooh, intrigue. Um, and the last question is a course you have completed. Doesn't have to be recent. 
Uh, so the last one I completed was actually an intensive week-long seminar in a particular method of, sorry, um, a particular method of collecting and interpreting research data. Um, yeah, so okay. <laughs> a lot of the time we do either numbers, like we ask people questions and we ask, we represent their answers with numbers or we ask them more free form like this, we record it and then we have mm. some way of coding what they say to us. The oh, wow. course was actually about putting those two together. So mm. rather than just relying on like forced response questions or free response questions, you actually do both and then put it together and you get like more than the sum of their parts. So you get oh, wow. a lot more information, which is yeah. a really cool concept. Oh my gosh, that sounds really cool, actually. So fascinating. So thank you for answering all those questions. We're going to get into it now and sort of discuss, you know, we're here to talk about social comparison and the effects it has on our personal resilience and sort of that behavioral intervention. But before we get started, for our listeners, Danny, how would you define personal resilience? I'm so glad you asked me that question. I think, I don't know how it is in, in Australia these days, but I think we've gotten to the point where people are hearing this word so much, they're hearing mm. about resilience and how important it is, that for a lot of people, they're kind of disconnected from what it means. And I think it has yeah. a lot of different meanings, honestly. When, when I hear the word resilience, I tend to think of a combination of distress tolerance and perseverance. Yeah. So the ability to keep going when things are difficult really broadly, like over the course of years or your whole lifetime, that would be kind of your global resilience mm -hmm. quotient. But also in the moment, like as we go through the day, we have moments that are really, really difficult. We don't want to be yeah. doing whatever it is we're supposed to be doing at that moment. And resilience is the ability not to pretend that that doesn't exist, or to put a smile on everything, but just to be able to push through that and get to the next step yeah. and stay consistent with our goals. So yeah. we know what's important and we don't rely on whether or not we feel like it in the moment. If I only did the things I felt like, lots of stuff wouldn't get done. Like I wouldn't be taking <laughs> yeah. out the trash, right? But I know how important that is. And so even if I don't feel like it, if I'm not motivated, I'm going to do it anyway. And I think there's a lot of that that goes into resilience, just being able to keep going when something isn't really working for you mm. to figure out what isn't working and move forward, whether that means you take a different road or you push through and just, you know, overcome the circumstances, but it's complicated, right? There's a lot mm. that goes into it that I, I think at this point we've, uh, we can overuse the term and that's not the term. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally agree. And I kind of want to touch on something that you brought up in terms of um, people thinking that it kind of makes you like immune to adversity. Like a lot of there's that misconception that a lot of people think that being resilient means that you have this like weird sort of like morbid tolerance towards like certain things. And depending on what field you're in, obviously that kind of thing can sort of occur, but you know, it's not healthy most of the time. But why do you think a lot of people believe that being resilient means being immune to adversity? Often, I think it's because we only see the results. We don't see the process. So when we say, oh, look at this person, they're so resilient, mm. it's because they're successful, because yeah. they've already done the resilient things 
that have led them to a positive outcome. We didn't always get to see how hard they had to fight internally and externally to get yeah, to that yeah. point. So it, it's something we do with social comparison. We'll come back to this, that we see people's outsides and we assume that that's all there is. Mm. And we don't really get what's on the inside or what it took to get to that point. And mm. I think in some ways, for people who really deserve the, the characterization of being resilient, the idea that it wasn't, that meant it wasn't hard, that they just like sailed through it, it, yeah. it really sells them short. Resilience is Definitely. like, no, it wasn't, mm-hmm. it w- wasn't easy. I got here in spite of my circumstances or in spite of my mm-hmm. own, like getting in my head and I pushed through that somehow. Yeah, definitely. I think you've touched on something really interesting there in terms of we only see the results and not really like the process of being resilient because sort of being able to be vulnerable with yourself and be resilient and understand like, okay, this is hard, this is difficult, but I'm going to like work in a way that's going to allow me to get through or be um, productive even despite sort of all of these um, afflictions. And a lot of the time we don't see that process because it's inside and people are dealing with it. Um, And a lot of the time, you know, it's not um, verbalized. So you touched on kind of how that relates to social comparison. So for those who want to know a little bit more, how would you define social comparison? So the technical definition is Anytime we evaluate ourselves relative to other people, that can mean a lot of different things. So usually when I'm trying to teach people about it, I ask them to think about, well, when was the last time you noticed a similarity or a difference between yourself and somebody else? Did you have thoughts about that? Sometimes they can, these can be so quick that we don't mm-hmm. even really notice they're happening, which yeah, can make man. them difficult to deal with. Yeah. But the ones that we notice, the ones we tend to be aware of are the ones that we have emotions about. So you notice that someone else is where you want to be. And either you feel like really good and inspired by that, or you feel kind of dejected and anxious and like inferior. You're thinking about, you know, how that person's already doing so much better and you'll never get there. Or the opposite way you're thinking about, oh, I'm so grateful. I'm not doing worse. Like so-and-so. Or, oh, gosh, my situation could get a lot worse. Here's a a tangible example of that. We tend to notice the ones that give us an emotional reaction. Mm. Sometimes the ones that don't give us emotional reactions still kind of work in the back of our minds. And it's almost like we don't even notice what kind of effect they're having until they build up after Mm. a while. So it's more than similarities and differences, but it's evaluating yourself relative to other people. So how do you think that that definition that you just gave, how do you think that connects and affects personal resilience? Well, so at its very core, social comparison is an inherent drive. You don't have to learn to do this. Like babies will kind of look around and see there's a, a hilarious cartoon of like very little kids. One has an ice cream. The other one's ice cream is bigger. And they're look, kind of looking at theirs and looking back at the other person's. And they can see that something's wrong. Like, why isn't yeah. mine as big? Yeah. We, this is something that is so ingrained in us, in part because it's protective. So we, this is information. Really, all it is is a source of information about how the world works and where we fit in in the world. And yeah. often it can tell us what's important to us. So 
if we're feeling bad that we're not already where somebody else is, or we're worried about being in a position that we don't want to be in that someone else is, Mm -hmm. it tells us a lot of information about what our values are, what's important to us, where we want to get to and where we want to strive to stay away from. And I think if we don't have that clarity, it's going to be really hard to be resilient because we don't know where it is we're trying to get to. And it, it would be easier to just kind of go with the flow, which sometimes can look like resilience. Like that can be really nice. You know, you don't, you, you're not getting worked up over everything, mm-hmm. but if you don't know where you're trying to get to, it, it's hard to even recognize that there's something that you need to deal with and you can miss a lot of yeah. opportunities. Yeah. That's so interesting because I never really thought of it as something that you kind of do or don't notice. I think like on the surface, when we talk about it, because I found this topic really interesting sort of when it came up and I was like, okay, this is what we're going to talk about today. But I felt like I didn't really, (laughs) like it was something that I only had sort of thought about on like a very surface level in terms of like, oh, okay, you know, social comparison. And immediately I feel like when people hear that, especially probably like the younger generation, as soon as they hear that, it kind of goes like, oh, like body image. Or like, you know, my, me in comparison to, you know, a supermodel or a famous TikToker or like something like that, you know, like how can I get more views or be more popular or get more likes or that kind of thing. But there's such a more complex side to it in terms of those negative versus positive effects. And I was so fascinated when I was reading sort of about what you do and kind of all this research that my beautiful researchers have given me in preparation for this, (laughs) that there are those positive sides to it. So that kind of brings me in to my next question. So there's obviously been a lot of studies, as you would know, um, showing the negative impact of social comparison and sort of how it can be destructive towards emotions and behaviours and self-esteem and, you know, eventuate into a mental health issue. But as you mentioned, there is a lot of evidence showing that it's also beneficial to our resilience and well-being. How Mm -hmm. and why do you think it affects people negatively? Because I'm so interested in sort of how we can look at social comparison as being like a positive thing. Like how does that work? Um, So I've always said that if anyone were ever to let me do a TED Talk, it would be entitled Why Social Comparison is Not the Thief of Joy or (laughs) or something to that effect that like, and it's funny, you know, the way the way I see a lot of the current kind of popular understanding of social comparison is that it's either all terrible, as you just just described, like social media is a perfect example of how bad it can be, right? Mm. And that's a lot of what we talk about. But also on the flip side, we treat it like it is the answer, the magic pill for a lot of other things. Like Mm. how often do you see leaderboards built into apps and things like that? Or it it actually started with like sales teams and having public rankings of their performance. That is the like the definition of social comparison. So on the one hand, like technology companies and businesses especially think that this is like what we ought to be doing all the time. We should be social comparison all the time. Mm. But there's also all of this 
experience that suggests that it can be really negative. How can it possibly be both? <laughs> yeah. uh, the answer is that it really depends, like so many other things in life, and people don't like this answer, <laughs> but it, <laughs> yeah. it really depends. It depends on the person, but even more importantly, it depends on the context. It depends on the moment. It depends on so many things about how you're responding to the information mm. that you get. So like I said, it's it's information. There's nothing inherently valuable or invaluable about it. There's nothing inherently positive or negative about it. It's a right, lot of what okay. we do with it. Yeah. And that's not to say that if you struggle with social comparison that you're to blame and you know just fix it. If it were that easy, we wouldn't be having this conversation and I wouldn't have <laughs> yeah. a job. But it, it does, I, I think that's a big thing that we miss about it is that we bring a lot of meaning to social comparison. And if mm. we can pause to figure out how that process is happening, there yeah. are ways to make it move in a more positive direction. I also think from a research standpoint, one of our biggest problems is the tools that we use. We have such amazing tools, but we don't always deploy them terribly mm. effectively. And so when we do a cross-sectional survey, for example, I ask you about your social media behavior. I ask you about whether or not you make social comparisons. Do you know that you do is a big question. We can come back to that later. But let's say you find a positive correlation, like those two things are positively associated. The, a person who makes a lot of social comparisons um, um, has a negative experience on social media, like much more so than someone who makes less social comparisons. Mm. Well, which one is causing which? And we don't know that from those methods. We just know that they co-occur in the same person. So it could be that it, social comparisons are causing you to feel bad and have all this negative stuff on social comparison. It could also go the other way. Okay. And I think this is a big this this is a, a big question about depression and anxiety. What's causing what? Are we bringing a lot of negativity to a context where social comparison is rampant? And so, mm -hmm. but we would be doing that no matter what the context was. Yeah. Or is it really that the social comparison is driving the negative effects? I, I think as we've progressed as a, as a field, we've gotten much better about teasing that apart. Mm. We also need to do a better job in interventions. And I think this is really where, where my research, I hope, stands out a little bit or where it's going, that we need to do a better job of helping people reflect on this whole process, understand what it means and doesn't mean, and help them move in a direction that's going to be more helpful for them. Yeah. That's so interesting just because, yeah, like you said, I feel like the general public, we sort of bring with it this sort of meaning for social comparison and, you know, it's like, oh, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. What would be an example of like a positive social comparison or a positive result of social comparison? So you asked me about role models earlier, and this is a perfect example. So if you can identify someone as a role model, it means that you look up to that person, that you might, under ideal circumstances, want to be like that person in some way. Not that you mm. universally want to like make your whole life about being like that person, but there's a quality or a behavior or an achievement that you admire about that person. And typically, we don't think of people as role models if we're not seeing ourselves as similar to them in some way. Mm. In that way, role models can inspire us to be our best in a particular area. So if you're an athlete and your role model is, I don't even know who the athletes are right now, <laughs> whoever's <laughs> playing in, in the, yeah. the American baseball 
playoffs. Yeah. Um, and Philadelphia is going to kill me for not knowing what's going on. We're in the playoffs right now. Um, but you know, say you're you're a baseball player, you're a um, you're a dancer, and there's someone you really you love their style. You want to be like them. Thinking about ways that you already are similar or can become more similar. Mm. to be like them, what behaviors you can actually implement that are going to move you in that direction. That's a huge positive of social comparison, or even, even someone who's just, you know, a friend that you hang out with or someone in your family who you see what they're doing and you really admire it and you want to move in that direction. It can give you instructions, but also if that person is anything like you, it can give you inspiration. You know, if, if that person started out where I am or that person is where I am and they're doing it, I can do it too. That's a really positive outcome of social comparison. And we do that all the time. We just don't call it (laughs) social comparison (laughs) for reasons. There's also, uh, as I said, like the the neg- the ones where you're noticing that you're doing better than somebody else. Um, so typically we talk about upward comparison, the ones where you notice that someone else is doing better than you or you're mm-hmm. doing worse, depends on what words you use. <laughs> um, but the ones where you notice that you're doing better than someone else, downward comparisons, again, those can really tell you where what is important to you and what behaviors to avoid so that you don't end up in a position that you don't want. So social comparisons, again, they can, they're evaluative, but in themselves, they can be extremely instructive, like literally guidebooks for, if you want to go here, do these behaviors like this other person. Mm -hmm. If you want to go, if you want to avoid over here, don't do these behaviors, move in a different direction. So I, I think we have tended to focus again on the outcomes. We have tended to focus on like what this person has or hasn't achieved, if we think more about, well, what did they do to get there? Or what haven't they done to get to a place that we would think of as more desirable? That can be extremely helpful for giving us a roadmap of what we want our own behaviors to look like. Yeah. That's so interesting because you're right. Like it's not something that I would have pictured as social comparison because we always like, as a kid, you're always asked like, who's your role model? And you're like, oh, I'm trying to think of a famous person now, um, like Oprah Winfrey or like mine has like for ages since I was in high school, like um, Amal Clooney. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's amazing. She married George Clooney and she's a lawyer and like, wow. <laughs> um, and I've always had like all these role models and growing up, you know, my mom was always like, oh, you know, like look at this person and look at this person. And she did that to inspire me, but I never really looked at it as sort of social comparison. And what you said was like exactly bang on. Like so many times I have looked up like the career progression or like the course progression of these women in like my lives um, that I've looked up to and been like, okay, sort of like what university did like Amal Clooney go to or like what law firm did she work at or, you know, what position did Oprah Winfrey start in or, you know, what did Jane Fonda do, all that kind of stuff. But I never looked at it as social comparison so it's interesting like like we were mentioning before sort of that definition I think is so sort of squeezed and cramped down and all this negativity by sort of social media and everything that's come up in the past like 10-20 years Um, but then there are those nice little positives that start from like such a young age like from like being like quite literally like a baby and you know your ice cream's bigger than mine kind of situation (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's wonderful to even be able to to talk about this because I I think you're right. We're so 
we're so used to thinking in a particular way. It's either good or it's bad. It's mostly bad. It, it's so nuanced. And that's partly what makes it so interesting. It's partly what makes mm. it so complicated, though. And what, like, then what the next steps are really depend on so many different factors. There's, I wish there were an easy answer to, yeah. like, if I'm struggling with this, what do I do? But like most things in life, the answer is going to be more complicated. And resilience mm. is like having the the patience and kind of stick to itiveness to say, okay, I'm going to find the way to get through this, even though it's hard. Yeah, definitely. I kind of want to just like backtrack in terms of something that you were talking about before in terms of um, looking at someone who, you know, you're either doing better than them or depending on like how you term it, you know, they're doing worse than you or you're doing better than them, depending on how you look Mm -hmm. at it. And I'm really curious about sort of this term of like putting things in perspective, because I feel like um, a lot of like the younger generation are so obsessed with this kind of like put it in perspective, put it in perspective, like compare, 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 like see, you know, how you're doing. And I had a friend who um, she like broke her rib during like an incident a while ago and all everyone kept saying was like, it could have been worse. It could have been worse. Like just be glad that, you know, you didn't break all your ribs or like burst your lung or you didn't have a heart attack or all this kind of stuff. And she came to me so upset and she was just like, I'm trying to like talk to these people and, you know, she wasn't trying to evoke sympathy, but when you're injured, you expect a little bit of sympathy and empathy, like she busted right. a rib. And all anybody kept saying to her was like, oh, you know, like it's not that bad. Like, you know, think about, you know, people in who have worse injuries than you or it could have been this or it could have been that. And in that moment, like making that comparison and sort of making sure that, you know, they gave her perspective really hurt her and she was just like yeah. she was like I don't want perspective like I'm in pain I'm not asking you to be like well at least you know you didn't get decapitated like it's not <laughs> really what <laughs> it's not what she I'm was looking for yeah. <laughs> no, but right. like that's exactly what she said she was just like I don't understand like do you think there is that sort of like toxic level of sort of perspective that comes yeah like that perspective that comes with social comparison I I do and I think it it goes in so many directions so what you just described is this really fascinating imaginary comparison target so what the target is the person you're making that comparison with in everything that you just described people were using probably real information these things can happen Mm. you know getting decapitated could happen, but they probably couldn't identify a person they knew who that happened to, right? They weren't saying your situation could be Leslie's situation. They were saying like, imagine this, you know, like murder crime show level situation that could be a lot worse. And it can help you put things in perspective for sure. But usually when you're the one who's offering that, when you're the one who's coping with your own situation by recognizing how much worse it could be, when that comes from you, that's a totally different way of getting perspective. Essentially, when other people say it, they're saying like, your situation's not that bad. And so you, you shouldn't be upset. That's not what they mean. But they're, they're uncomfortable with your discomfort. So they just want it to go away, right? Like they're trying to make themselves feel better by making you feel better because and like they care about you. So they want you to feel better. 
But that is a twisted way of doing it. And as soon as you break it down and really think about what you're saying, it all falls apart. Like, why would that be helpful? Mm. But when people do it for themselves, when they say to themselves, like, oh, geez, you know, uh, thank goodness it wasn't worse. Like when, when that seems to be more of a spontaneous self-generated thought process, it can be really helpful. Yeah. And as long as it's not being used to avoid what's really going on, yeah. it, it can, it can be useful. So one of the, the problems is when like, like most things, when you only have one way of thinking about it, when there's only, it could have been so much worse therefore you don't have a right to be upset mm. or look at all the ways that I'm not doing better already. All of these people are doing better and therefore I'm inferior. When those are your only modes of operating, that, that inflexibility is usually a sign that something's not going well. One of the hallmarks of resilience is adaptability, flexibility, being able to take different perspectives. Mm. But essentially what you just described is a single perspective that's kind of being forced from the outside. And usually that's mm. not, regardless of whether we're talking about social comparison or anything else, that's usually not terribly helpful as much as it's coming from a good place. Like someone mm. wants to help you. They just mm. don't know what else to say. Yeah, exactly. Like they had, I can see like the intention and like the people who said it, like I understood what they were trying to say but she was just like so like why would you say that to me like that doesn't make any sense and I think yeah like you said it's just sort of like people don't entirely know what to do in that kind of situation so they're like oh it could have been worse like that's all that comes to it so how can we optimize the use of social comparison while avoiding the negative consequences so uh, I might start with recognizing that so much of this is just natural that you you know when people talk about the white bear problem like tell your you know tell yourself don't think about a white bear don't think about a white bear or if i were to say that to you don't think about it yeah that's, that's all you're gonna think about <laughs> Sorry, that's happened, not yeah. How that, yeah exactly so one one kind of initial step is just recognizing that it we all do this some people rely on it more than others. Some people, it happens to them more than others. Some people, they have more negative responses than others. But this is natural and there's nothing wrong with doing it. It's so much about how you're using the information. So one step one is like, don't judge yourself for doing it. Um, we, we talk a lot with, like I talk to clients a lot about there's enough, if, if you're just trying to deal with your negative emotions, there's enough of that without squeezing it. So like mm. squeezing the, imagine a rock as your emotions, but like squeezing yeah. the rock is making it that much more difficult to deal with what's underneath because you've covered it with a layer of like tension. Yeah. So if you can kind of let go of the self-judgment first and just recognize what's really happening, that is going to make it that much easier to deal with. Hmm. Optimization really comes from, I think, first understanding, like, where are you trying to go? The social comparison can help you get to a lot of places, but it, if you don't know where you're trying to go, it's very easy to only focus on the negative information that you get from it. Yeah. We just talked about role models. I think that's a great way 
to optimize social comparison, that recognizing that someone who's doing better in your mind, and this is all about your own perception, but someone who you think is doing better than you in an area that you care about, ask yourself, well, what are they doing that is helping them get there? Is that Mm -hmm. something I could do too? Or could I make some modifications to get closer to that? Likewise, someone who's doing worse other things that they're doing that I think if I avoid doing those things or if I do something different, I'll have a different outcome. And using that to kind of get perspective a little bit on like, okay, where am I at? Where am I trying to get to? And what's going to be best for me? Hmm. Just because somebody else is doing really well in a particular domain, maybe that's not what they want, right? So this is the whole part about like, you're making comparisons, you're comparing your insides with somebody else's outsides. I think that is, of all the things we say about social comparison, that is the one that's the most true Mm -hmm. and the most valuable. That even if this person seems like they have it all and, you know, they, they can, they can't do anything wrong. And that's, that may not be how it really is, number one, but it, it may not be how they feel. It may not be the way they think. They may feel very insecure and second guess everything that they do. And the way that they got to where they are is that they they put in a lot of hard work and they had to fail in their minds a lot to, to get to where they are. Mm. That recognition that this is a process, that, you know, one comparison isn't going to make or break anything. It's more like the pattern and the way that you interact with the information and trying to remember that it is just information. You're yeah. the only one who brings meaning to that. Yeah, exactly. And and that's a nice way of sort of like, yeah, ending on that note in terms of like, you know, it is just information and you are you and you're the only person who really knows sort of what's going on inside your head to that certain extent. Um, And yeah, there are those pros and cons to it, you know, that being able to have role models and for kids to be able to look up to people and, you know, to be able to um, imitate what certain people do to be able to, you know, get the jobs that you want or all that kind of stuff. There are those positives. But I kind of want to segue into something else now that's sort of a little bit more behaviour related like we've mentioned before. Can social comparison be used to change unhealthy behaviour? So we're sort of thinking about things like smoking, drinking alcohol, using drugs, et cetera. And how does that work? And I think like the most obvious example I feel like would probably be maybe like smoking and how we've sort of seen that kind of like degrade over the past few like decades. Um, But how do you think like from your perspective, social comparison can be used to change unhealthy behavior? You're absolutely right that we have a ton of experimental evidence, not just cross-sectional correlational evidence or self-report evidence. We have really strong evidence that prompting or introducing opportunities to make social comparisons can actually change people's not just perspectives, but their behavior. Mm. And both are important. But if we're talking about healthy behavior, we care about the actual like demonstrated behavioral outcome. Um, the place where I think we, we see this all the time, even when we don't recognize it is physical activity. I was talking about like leaderboards and apps and competitions and challenges with other people. All of that is predicated on the idea that you don't want to be at the bottom. Even if you are not a competitive person, even if you're not fuel, you're not going to go sign up for a bunch of competitions because you inherently like the thrill of the process. 
there's something that a lot of us respond to where we just don't want to be at the bottom. So mm-hmm. we're going to do whatever we have to do to inch up. And then some, some of us really like being at the top. And so we will modify our behavior based on that. Yeah. Smoking is a really interesting one where I think we've done, well, I mean, the, the overall like trend that, as you're saying, has been so positive, but social comparison is tricky. And sometimes it's more about like the social norm that we create and the related processes. So social norms are really much bigger than just like, how am I doing relative to you? It's much more like, how am I doing relative to other people I know much yeah. more broadly? Yeah, and okay. like, what, what um, example are they setting? Mm. Because that tells me something about how I should behave either because I think so, or because I want to please them. They're related, right? Like you have yeah. to evaluate yourself in relation to those people first, but yeah, it, it's a okay. little bit bigger. Oh, one other way, one other way in smoking that I think we we can actually get it wrong is we do that thing where we show people like, you know, if you keep smoking, your skin is going to rip off and, you know, here are your blackened lungs. And- oh my gosh, yeah, the cigarette packets is exactly what I was thinking of. I don't, do they, is that what the cigarette packets look like in the States? Is that... Not the cigarette packets. There's just a warning and oh, like a skull and crossbones. The packets thing. in the in a, in Australia, the packets have these like horrible graphic pictures all over them of like people's toes and like people's lungs. And so when you buy them, they hand you this like packet that has like this horrible like malformed thing on the front, and oh, it's so bad. <laughs> Um, so I'm sure that works for some people. The problem <laughs> yeah. is that there are a lot of people for whom, and this is getting into like other psychological and social processes, which I, I love, but the, the one of the problems, and we see this specifically with smoking, is that people can distance themselves from that. Mm. It seems so extreme that whatever happened to that person, that's not relevant to me anymore. Yeah. Whereas if we're talking about like my best friend who we started out smoking at the same time, that's going to seem a little bit different. But this is a person I don't know. I don't know their history. You're telling me that it's all about smoking, but I can make tons of excuses and like reasons why that's not going to happen to me. It's too distant. Also, if I've already bought the cigarettes, I am going to do everything I can to justify that behavior. I don't want to feel the tension of knowing that I did a thing that I also know is bad, right? That's called cognitive dissonance. I'm sure you've heard that term before. We're going to do everything we can to reduce the dissonance. I can't change the fact that I already bought that pack of cigarettes. What I can do is change the way that I'm thinking about it. So I Mm. can like justify that behavior by distancing myself from the person on the label or by remembering, like, instead of comparing to that person, what I'm going to do is compare myself to my 93-year-old Nana who has smoked for 50 years and she's still <laughs> yeah. alive and she, she's genetically related to me. So she's going to be yeah. a better comparison target, right? Mm. It's It's delicate. And I think this is a big difference between <laughs> public health and psychology that's focused on health mm. is that what you do for one person doesn't necessarily always scale up to a population and vice versa. Like you said, the trend is moving in the right direction with smoking. Like we, yeah. we can't deny that we, all of these processes together have done so much good for reducing smoking and have saved lives in the process. 
but there are people like we know that there's there's a lot of evidence that there are people for whom the message goes the wrong way and it's partly because of social comparison processes that's so interesting yeah just like looking at how those things are interconnected in that cognitive dissonance that you mentioned before it's so right because you still like you see the packets and you're like oh yeah like that's gross but then the person like still smokes them and you're like okay well that's something that you just must believe is is not going to happen to you and I find that so fascinating so when it comes to sort of this behavioral change that comes from social comparison is there a way that like if we want to change somebody else's behavior instead of our own is it possible to do that without hurting someone's feelings that wow that's a great question so i I mean as someone who designs interventions if i'm going to use social comparison the idea is that i'm going to use that to help people change their own behavior or to you know help them change their behavior in terms of in our personal life i i think it is a little bit more complicated I, one one kind way to do it, it I mean you just you just brought up a um, an example of the I'm gonna use social comparison to try to get you to gain perspective that doesn't always work very well yeah. um, but other ways that we can do it are maybe gently very gently encouraging people to think about like okay well you know where is it you're trying to get to or you know what what kinds of things are really important to you like what a lot of the work that we do in psychology is around values helping people clarify their values so not just the outcomes they want but the the ways to live that they find really valuable and then okay who's doing that either in your personal life or a role model like a famous person or a sports star or a politician whoever it is how can you use what they're doing to get yourself a little bit closer to to where you want to be? We use this a lot in group interventions and we have to do it very subtly because we don't want people doing the negative comparisons with each other. But if there are people in the group who are doing really well, that actually suggests that so could you, you were probably all starting from a similar place. And so emulating their behavior is probably going to move you maybe not to exactly where they are but is going to move you more in that direction um other other ways that we can either help people with social comparison or use social comparison i i think really have to do with uh, perspective taking in a in a positive way so reminding people sometimes that like well, you know, you don't know everything about that person. Like maybe it's a lot harder for them than it looks like. If you want to get to where they are, it would be really interesting to know more about how they got there. But helping people reflect on why comparisons are important to them Mm -hmm. or why they kind of hang on to or respond to that information, Mm -hmm. not in a I'm going to psychoanalyze you kind of way. That's difficult to do and you should not do it without training and it costs (laughs) money, (laughs) not free. Um, But at the same time, like, uh, I think instead of telling your friend, oh, it could be so much worse, Mm. just asking more questions, Yeah. right? Not in an invasive way, but just like being more curious about somebody else's perspective can help you avoid saying the wrong thing in a lot of domains, but especially with social comparison. Yeah, definitely. So in general, would you recommend upward or downward social comparison to facilitate behavior change? 
it depends on <laughs> depends on the person. It depends on the change yeah. they're trying to make. Um, it depends on so many different things. Yeah. But I think both I think both can be equally helpful. It it just depends on what someone finds motivating. You know, mm. um, there's I mean, what is it called? Um, you can probably cut this part while I'm fumbling <laughs> with my words. Um, but there's um, there's a, a concept of, in coping. This is this isn't quite what I was thinking of, but it's the closest thing. Where either you're the type of person, or you're um, in a set of circumstances where you're going to uh, try to approach something good, or mm. you're in circumstances of the type of person where you're going to be motivated by avoiding something bad. So if you're more in the camp temporarily or otherwise, that avoiding something bad is going to be motivating, using downward comparison is going to be really helpful. If you're more the type of person or in circumstances where approaching something good is going to be more motivating and focusing on like, here's all the good stuff I'm going to get, upward comparison is going to be more valuable. Okay. Interesting. But one of the reasons why I think a leaderboard does work when it works and if it works and for whom it works is that you get both right? You get to see, and it, it's dynamic. It's not just like you get one snapshot of information. Mm. Things change as your behavior changes. And it, yeah. it keeps you, if you're the type of person who responds to this kind of information, because not everybody does, but um, if you're the type of person who does respond to it, it's continuously changing. It keeps your attention and you have to keep engaging in the behavior to continue to get the ranking that you want, yeah. right? So, but you also can choose, are you going to focus on how close you are to the top? Or are you going to focus on how far you are from the bottom? Or are you going to focus yeah, on how close okay. you are to the bottom? It's like a glass half full kind mm. of thing. Yeah. And when, when you have choices, this is something we know from a lot of research, like my research in particular, people who struggle with making health behavior change in particular, they don't really like to only have one person to compare themselves with because then it seems like a competition and only yeah. one person is winning. When there are more people and you're just ranked a, with a bunch of people, you can choose what information is going to work for you best at the moment that you're encountering it. And I think preserving choice, preserving the ability to reflect and to use the information in a way that is going to be valuable, if we don't have those opportunities we're usually going to just do whatever the default is. And that's usually going to be bad, like with social media. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. And like you said, it entirely depends on the person. And I think, yeah, especially when it comes to physical activity, you never, I'm, I'm not a competitive person. I think maybe that's why I just relate to that more is because I'm, I don't like having just one other person to be sort of like competing against I just in, mm -hmm. I do not enjoy the idea of like having that competition uh, when it comes to like sort of physical activity maybe when it comes to academics I feel like I'm a little bit different um but <laughs> <laughs> I think I can get a little bit more competitive in that field but maybe that's just because that's my area that I, I feel more confident in um but yeah it's interesting I think the idea of leaderboards and sort of being able to see, yeah, are you closer towards the bottom or are you closer towards the top? And it, it's kind of like, um, this, this is like a really random anecdote, but it's sort of when you're playing like Mario Kart, like with other people. And I have this, I got two little brothers, so this is like something that occurs fairly like frequently is my aim is just to not come last. <laughs> like yeah. my entire goal <laughs> is just to not be like 12. 
Whereas my brothers are like, we have to be first or like in the least in the top three. But if mm-hmm. I like don't come 12th or I come ninth, I'm like, yes, <laughs> I won in my head. You hear that so often on the Great British Baking Show or the Canadian version <laughs> or the is like in the technical, I just don't want to be last. I don't care yeah. about anything else yeah. <laughs> for some people. But then other people are really like, no, I want to win. Right. Yeah. And either one of those things can be super motivating. It depends on you. And you also highlighted another really important aspect of all of this. The domain really matters. So you may use social comparison very differently in an academic or professional domain than you do in your personal life or in your health behaviors or things that are important to you in a different way or are less important to you. Are How close is it tied to your like core identity, you can use social comparison in very different ways. That's also why it's not a great idea to just like have the stock response to somebody, oh, it could be worse or what. You don't know how important this is to them or how they're going to interpret that. You got to say something. And, you know, you're again, you're trying to be comforting. But as soon as you start breaking down what, as soon as you start breaking down what that means, it all, it all falls Mm. apart. Like we were saying. Yeah. Exactly. So that takes us nicely into our practice and habit experiment debrief. So this is the part of the podcast where we ask the professionals uh, what they do to deal with the topic at hand. So I'm going to ask Danny, um, what is a practice that you do to deal with social comparison? I I love to think (laughs) that I practice what I preach. And uh, so because I study this, I, it works differently for me than I think that for a lot that it does for yeah. a lot of people. But that doesn't mean mm. I do it any better necessarily. Right. I'm just more likely to notice it in different ways than other people. Mm. So one one place you just gave a perfect example is like academic and professional performance stuff. There are always those superstars who just like get every grant, they're publishing every paper, they're like all over the news with their amazing (laughs) findings. And, you know, sometimes I feel a little bad about that because I'm not, I mean, this, I was thrilled to get the invitation to this podcast. That means I'm coming up in the world, but you know, I'm not, I'm not all over the, all over the top of that leaderboard. And sometimes I do catch myself feeling bad about that. One thing I try to remind myself immediately is like, is that what you want? Like you've been conditioned Mm. to think that that is what success looks like. And absolutely, if that's what someone wants and they're willing to put in the time and energy, that's great for them. And like, they've worked so hard for that. None of that stuff comes easy. And I never, I always remind myself like that didn't just happen. But the other part of it is like, do I want to do all those things? Like I want the outcome maybe, but do I want to do all the things that are going to get me there? Probably not. Or I would be doing them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So just trying to remind myself that like, it sounds nice on the surface, like on the outside, the outcome sounds nice, but what is their life really like? And like, if you have reporters calling you up and you got to prep your Ted talk and that sounds really glamorous, but like, I like my free time yeah. <laughs> and I, I really like, you know, chilling at home with my husband and my cats and like seeing my friends. And I would have to do less of that to have this like professionally glamorous lifestyle. And I just mm. don't know how important that is to me. Yeah. So, so it's that kind of conversation. I'm not suggesting that anybody else should necessarily have that exact conversation with themselves, but I think sometimes we have this knee jerk reaction that it, it's bad that I don't have what somebody else has. Yeah. Is it? 
uh, is that really what you think? That's a different situation than like, oh, no, actually, I don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. And I definitely I can definitely sort of like attest to that. You look at sort of people and I'm currently in law school. So like competition is like intense at the moment. Oof. We're coming to the end of it. Yeah, <laughs> we're coming to the pointy end of it. And so obviously like people are applying for things and did you get a grad position and like all this kind of stuff. And it's like really intense. But and, you know, you get all this pressure like, oh, yeah, like that's what I should be doing. Like they're really successful, you know, like they won the international moot court competition or you know they did this or they got published this this article got published or I had a friend who was in a textbook the other day and I was like wow okay um but then when I think about all the stuff that they have to do to get to that point and I'm just like well I really don't want to actually do that like I am maybe like jealous of their success because that's what I've been told what success looks like but it's definitely not something that I'm aiming for like you know they got the grad position and I'm like oh dang like they got it but then I'm like I don't want to work at a corporate law firm like that's not my <laughs> aim why am I mad about this I'm like I don't actually care <laughs> so sort of like yeah having that perspective like is it actually what you want and kind of is it actually something that aligns with your values and your goals and you know think about how your life would be different if you had to be doing that and the the pros and cons of it and sometimes the answer is like yes i really want that i'm willing i've been trying so hard and i don't have it that's a different conversation you would have to have yeah. with yourself but i think that's a, a smaller percentage of the time than we think mm. it is yeah so what would you say are like three good things about like this practice or this perspective? I think you get to know yourself really well when you, first of all, notice that again, part of it, like changing behavior. And this is, this is just a, a cognitive behavior that's ha like, this is something that happens in your mind that can have real consequences but it's a behavior like anything else. And you recognizing that it's happening can be the most difficult part of the process because there's nothing you can do about it yet. Mm -hmm. That's okay. And like I said, recognizing you don't need to change it, but one good thing about reflecting on this process to whatever extent you find helpful is that you get to know yourself really well. What is and isn't important to you, what you're willing to push through and what you're not, and where you really want to spend your time and energy that's yeah. precious, you know, it's not infinite. And it, it, when you have these conversations with yourself, it, they go faster the more you have them. And then like all, over the long term, you have to have them less frequently. But if you pause for a few seconds and have these conversations with yourself, you can really figure out what it is you want and make it easier for you to drive forward and make good decisions mm. that are going to get you there. Um, I think you you also learn a lot about other people um, because you have the capacity to have these conversations and to reflect with other people on how this works for them if you choose to do that. Um, but we hear a lot that, you, especially women, but not exclusively, we hear a lot that there are these like just conversations that are rampant where you see, you mentioned before, like seeing a supermodel or like seeing someone really attractive and immediately feeling bad about that. That's a place where social comparison actually works a little bit differently than what I've been talking about. We won't get off on a, a whole tangent about that, but yeah. you know, I, 
what is it that seems desirable about that? And are there other ways that you can achieve the desired outcome that don't necessarily require you to modify your eating and exercise behaviors if that's what it would take for you? What is it that you're really looking for? And I think we can help like have each other, help each other have more productive, healthier conversations if we just take a couple of seconds to think more deeply about what it is we're saying and what it means. More importantly, what it means. Hmm. So those are only two things, I think, but they're <laughs> meaty. Do I, I think that, yeah, no, no, I think that kind of sums, oh. uh, sums that up nicely. So just kind of lastly, um, how do you think this impacts our personal resilience or perception of in life? I think in ways that we don't always recognize. So there are, are a lot of people who recognize that there's something wrong, that they're dissatisfied because they see other people who have the outcomes they want and they feel bad that they haven't already achieved that. Like we said when we started out, you don't necessarily know what it took to, for that person to get there. But if that's really important to you, if you see that person as a role model, you can actually use that as a roadmap, potentially, like what law school did this person go to and what job did they take? And those kinds of things can can really help you put thoughts into action. Mm. And resilience, like I said, my perspective is that it it's all about what you do in difficult moments. It's not about making things look easy or taking the easy road. It's recognizing that like on a grand scale and in the moment, things are not necessarily always going to be easy, but you, that doesn't have to dictate your behavior. Yeah. There are times when you, you can't change the circumstances, right? And so it's a good time to just back up and let it be. There are other times when like pushing through is really the thing that is going to be hugely valuable, but resilience is about knowing the difference. It's not just about like constantly moving forward and refusing to see what your other options are. Mm-hmm. Social comparison, I think, helps you figure out what you want, helps you figure out how you're doing at any given time, but also can drag you down a negative path if you use that as your only form of information. So if you're relying too heavily on social comparison for information about yourself, it's going to go poorly no matter what direction or how you're interpreting that. So a, a part of resilience has to be that however and whenever you make comparisons, you're able to deal with them in a way that's not going to hold you back from what you really want. Yeah. And that ties nicely into our next section. So I've got an audience question here. Um, So the question is, how does social comparison inform our goals? How realistic do we need to be when it comes to setting goals in comparison to others? Uh, That is a great question, and I would love to ask this person so many more questions because I think the answer, the best answer is going to be personalized. Um, So one way that social comparison can work against us is when we see there being only one acceptable set of goals because that's what everybody else is focused on. And if, if that's truly what you want, that's great, but only if you've also had the opportunity to consider what else is out there and what is going to be valuable to you. Mm. I didn't say what's going to make you the happiest because sometimes like you won't be happy on the path, but 
the journey is what is important. And so you're willing to be temporarily less happy than you could be to get there. Um, so I, I think a big part of social comparison is like, well, what are my options? What could my goals be? And then how do I know if these are reasonable goals? But reasonable depends not only on what other people are doing and what they think, but also where you're starting from. Mm, yeah. There's uh, in health behavior, we always talk about like small steps to get where you're going rather than trying to change 15 things at once. Let's change something small or one thing at a time. Let's really get a handle on that. Let's get confident with our ability to maintain that over time. And then we can take something else on. Mm-hmm. And I, I think part of resilience might also be knowing your limits as far as like how many different things you can possibly be working on at one time before you yeah. just collapse. So yeah. the social piece helps you with like, what are my options? But it can restrict you if there's only like, if what you see around you is that there are, there's only one set of options. Yeah. I kind of like want to just like discuss this a little bit more in terms of when it comes to um, like being realistic. Like let's say you have a goal, but like, what is achievable for you may not sort of like how do I wear this um maybe cut that bit up um what so what was I trying to say um when it comes to being realistic about your goals and what's achievable for yourself when do you think people should start to step back and maybe be like okay you know, I'm looking at this person and comparing myself to this person. You kind of touched before on like, you know, being, you want to be a Victoria's Secret model or something. And, you know, for you and your body type <laughs> and that kind of thing is not entirely achievable. Um, but like just talking about goals in general, when do you think people need to kind of like have a step back and be like, okay, as much as I'm like comparing myself to this person and I've seen the path that they've taken and all that kind of stuff, um, you know, that is not going to be achievable for me. When should people like start to think about that. Yeah. So this is a great place to bring in the concept of temporal comparisons. So we talk a lot about comparisons with other people. Equally valuable can be comparisons to where we were at a previous point in time. So think about the most difficult thing that you've ever put your mind to and like worked really hard on and what the outcome was. If that's comparable in terms of what you're going to need to do to get to the place where this other person is, that's a good sign that like you're at least willing to put in the work. It's not a guarantee you're going to get to the same place. But if if that process is similar, if you know in yourself that you have like committed to things before and seen yourself like really push and achieve things that maybe even other people didn't think you were capable of, that's a really good sign that whatever you're trying to do next is going to be equally successful. That being said, if on the, or I guess on the other hand, if you're thinking about, okay, well, what would I, what would it take to get to where this other person is? And at what point in my life have I ever been willing and demonstrated that I would do that, that I would put that kind of effort and commitment and time into something that's a good reality check. If you can't identify a time or a, a situation where you have even come close to what you think it's going to take to get to that place, yeah. maybe it's not impossible, but 
what are then what you know how are yeah. you going to bridge yeah. that gap for yourself i i do think we we do people a disservice when we tell them like anything is achievable if you just put your mind to it it really depends on what it is you're trying to achieve and that doesn't mm. that doesn't suggest that you shouldn't dream big absolutely yeah. you should but big doesn't have to be the biggest big can be a different place that's really really valuable to you mm. so the again it's really more about the process success isn't just about the outcome and resilience isn't just about the outcome it's so yeah. much about the process is that the place where you see similarities between yourself and this other person. If you yeah. don't see any similarities in your work ethic, it's unlikely that you're going to achieve the same outcome. Yeah. And I think that's a good note for us to end there. Thank you so much for being here today, Danny. We've learned so much. Um, and this has been such a good time. For those who want to find out a bit more about you and what you do, where can they go? So they can email me at my last name at rowan.edu. Uh, they would probably want to like give me something specific that they're looking for. If they were going to reach out that directly, I would absolutely welcome that. Uh, but I also have a faculty page at Rowan's psychology department. I have a lab page that lists our publications. And one thing that I do want to call attention to, you for the work that we do, we make sure that you don't have to be a professional to understand it and to get some benefit out of it. So for every paper that we've published in the last couple of years, we have also produced a plain language summary of what we did and what we found. And we produce an infographic that tells you much more visually what we did and what we found and why it's important, how we might be able to use this information. Mm -hmm. So that's a, a much longer web address, but I can absolutely make that <laughs> available to the podcast and hope people would wanna come visit because yeah. we're excited about the work that we're doing and it was, it's been so great to talk to you about it. Oh, awesome. Yeah, definitely. We'll include the link for that in the description if you guys are interested and we'll also put the link um, for Danny's website and all her details down there. Again, thank you so much Danielle Arrigo for being here it's been such a pleasure thank you yes it has you're you're great at this thank you so much <laughs> thank you so much I appreciate that you have been listening to bouncing back the personal resilience science insights podcast produced by the life management science labs listen to episodes from LMSL's 10 life management perspectives on Apple podcasts Google podcasts Spotify YouTube or other podcasting apps on your smartphone if you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it and subscribing to our channel as it helps others find us and us grow to bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at pr.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Tia Hama. Thanks for tuning in.